In today's episode, I'm going to answer the question whether or not alcohol actually reduces stress so that you can make an educated decision about when and how you use the drug we call alcohol. Because it is a drug, which means there can be medicinal uses, but you have to neutralize your perspective. Alcohol is not good or bad, or right or wrong, and it's certainly not a magical elixir that is capable of perking you up and calming you down, or making things better and making them worse. Alcohol use disorder is fueled by deeply held beliefs about what it means to drink, which is why taking a break from alcohol to reset your tolerance isn't enough. The only way you can ever be free of your emotional attachment to alcohol is to purge the pro-booze biases from your brain so you're no longer intoxicated by unrealistic expectations. My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a soberish recovery coach helping high achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. So a quick update before we get started, this is the last week you'll be able to find the show under Recover with Colleen. I am relaunching next Tuesday, November 14th, as it's not about the alcohol. Please note the date has changed. I'm moving my drop day from Monday to Tuesday because Monday evidently is the most popular release day in the mental health category. So I have been advised to move our show to Tuesday so that we have a better chance of ranking on the charts. It is my mission in life to help more women know that alcohol use disorder is completely curable and that calling yourself an alcoholic and swearing to never drink again makes it more likely you'll binge in the future. And if releasing on a Tuesday instead of a Monday helps more women find the show, then that's an easy decision. So I appreciate each of you that has joined my pod squad to be part of the relaunch. And if you haven't signed up yet, I am asking you directly for your support in this cause. Get in the show notes and join my pod squad. My gift to you for joining is immediate access to my new short form audio course, which is Foundations of Emotional Sobriety. And you'll be eligible to win either a $100 Amazon gift card or a $300 private coaching call with me. And the grand prize is a membership in my 12-week Next Chapter program valued at $3,000. And all you have to do to be eligible to win is download all five episodes that I'm releasing next Tuesday, and then leave me a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify if you're an Android user. Don't worry, I'm going to send you an email with specific instructions. That's why I need you to sign up. And if you want more detailed information, listen to the episode I posted last week right before this one called Don't Miss the Free Gifts and Prizes. Thank you for your support. So let's dive into today's topic. The mistake that leads most of us into addiction is that we use alcohol to relieve stress. Research shows that over time, 
Drinking specifically to cope with stress, while it may provide temporary relief, actually increases anxiety and depression the next day, which in turn motivates you to drink again and creates a cycle that gets harder and harder to escape. Addiction is actually accelerated when stress is your motivation to drink. So somebody who's drinking for social or celebratory reasons may drink the same amount, but they don't experience necessarily the same structural changes in their brain. The structural changes occur in the prefrontal cortex. Over time, your gray matter shrinks due to the reduction in neural pathways. A neural pathway is just a thought process that you repeat over and over. So the more you choose to drink when you feel stressed, the more your problem-solving skills get automated to produce the inevitable result, which is when there's a problem, alcohol is the answer which means neural pathways for other coping skills atrophy over time. Think of it as trails through the woods. If you always take the same path, the other ones become overgrown and eventually no longer exist. And that's why your brain literally shrinks. But I will tell you before I go on, good news, it is reversible. I've addressed this topic and the science in depth on other episodes, and I'm not gonna go into it here. But the bottom line is that within six months to one year of recovery and doing the work to break the addiction and retrain your brain and learn new habits, your prefrontal cortex can build new neural pathways and expand to the size of not only somebody who's never had an addiction, but actually be greater in size. So that's super cool, good news that flies in the face of what the treatment industry will tell you that once an addict, always an addict. See, what you need to understand is that it's not alcohol that changes your brain. The brain changes as it learns. Think of your brain as an algorithm. As it learns what you like and solves problems, it tries to apply that to other contexts. It starts making rules. It's like on social media, where if you watch one dog video, you're gonna see five more. Now you don't have to click on them, but if you do, your options for other topics continue to narrow. Alcohol use disorder is the equivalent of getting radicalized on YouTube. The algorithm can turn a social justice warrior into a violent political extremist one video at a time. And drinking can cause addiction in a stress drinker for two reasons. One is that most of us experience some stress every day. And two, alcohol actually causes stress. And I'll explain why in a minute, but let me finish that brilliant analogy about the algorithm. It works like this. If you drink alcohol immediately after work on a Friday night because you're stressed, and that works, or you think it does anyway, your brain will start suggesting alcohol as a solution in other contexts. Like a good little algorithm, it will say, if you liked two glasses of wine, may I suggest a third? Or if you enjoyed drinking at that wedding, may I recommend we bring a flask to the funeral? Or, as you love happy hour on Friday night to end the week, um, let's try drinking on Monday to start the week. So over time, you build out the habit of drinking to relieve stress. And in seemingly unrelated news, life starts to feel more stressful. Because 
Alcohol is a sedative. It depresses the central nervous system, which triggers the release of cortisol and adrenaline. That's just your brain keeping you alive, lest you get so relaxed you forget to breathe. Alcohol is also an analgesic. It can temporarily reduce pain, including the pain of fatigue, which is why having a drink after work before you head out for an evening seems to perk you up. What it's really doing is numbing your fatigue. You're tired. You just stop noticing how tired you feel. Plus, you have a boost in cortisol and adrenaline which explains why you said you were only going to go and have one drink and come home, but you let yourself get talked into bar hopping and end up 3 a.m. drunk last call and you can't remember where you parked your car. And the other thing that explains that is that alcohol also spikes your dopamine up to 10 times higher than normal activities. Alcohol is your feel good and go get more neurotransmitter. Dopamine boosts you up and makes you feel good, and that's what motivates you to keep drinking. But what goes up must come down. Anything that spikes your dopamine unnaturally high will leave you below baseline the next day, which is part of the reason you feel agitated and grumpy and apathetic. Think of dopamine like water in the bathtub. When you make big waves, some of the water spills out, leaving less water in the bathtub. It's the same with dopamine. The higher the dopamine spikes, the more the baseline levels go down. And then you need bigger and bigger spikes to get the same effect. This is what we experience as tolerance. You see, tolerance is not a sign of a high-functioning liver, my friends. That's what I used to think. It's actually a symptom of addiction. And I know that that's a big, scary word, But addiction is just a spectrum of dopamine deficit. And that's why the first step to fixing the problem is to realize that you've been using alcohol to solve a problem that is created by alcohol. It feels like a hamster wheel because it is. And the second step is then, of course, to correct the dopamine deficit so that your need for relief goes away. You know, once you overcome an addiction, your brain doesn't respond the same way to alcohol. I remember how relieved I felt just from pouring the first drink. It was the relief of the withdrawal of the dopamine deficit that felt so euphoric. I wasn't drinking to feel high. I was drinking because I was so low and just wanted to feel a little bit better. Once you correct the dopamine deficit and a bunch of other things I'm going to tell you about, but let's take it one thing at a time. Once you correct the dopamine deficit, it's much easier to control yourself. It's not medicinal anymore because you're not relieving a problem. When your brain chemistry is balanced and your nervous system is regulated, you don't feel so much stress which is why it's so important when you do decide to break the addiction and handle your shit, you have the right tools. Because the standard advice that you get when you're dealing with cravings after you stop drinking from the sober community anyway is that you should just eat sugar. And that advice actually prolongs the deficit because you're still boosting up your dopamine unnaturally with the sugar. 
You know, I didn't know this stuff. And I suffered with post-acute withdrawal syndrome for almost two years. Bottom line, I felt more depressed in my first year of recovery than I had as a drinker. It was unexpected and disheartening. And I'm so glad that I stuck with the course, but you need to know that there are very specific strategies for boosting your dopamine after alcohol use disorder. Reach out to me if you want more information. But I will caution you that understanding how the drug we call alcohol causes stress with this dopamine deficit thing probably won't be enough to change your behavior long-term because alcohol use disorder isn't logical. Your brain is not going to forget that you actually did experience stress relief when you drank, at least some of the time, and at least you thought you did. And those experiences run far deeper than my voice in your ear for a few minutes on a podcast. You're going to have to look into your history and shine a light on all the assumptions that caused you to conclude that alcohol reduces stress. Because pharmacologically, alcohol doesn't reduce stress. So there is more to the story. You've heard about confirmation bias, right? You see what you expect to see, and you ignore evidence to the contrary. And that is a big part of what has happened here. Television and movies and the madman generation and all the alcohol marketing, of course, that is still going on, especially on social media, have planted the idea in our heads that alcohol is a stress reliever for hardworking, sexy people. Hell, your doctor would probably recommend a glass of wine in the event you need to calm down if they don't want to write you a script for Xanax. But the effects of our own beliefs and expectations to produce the benefits of a drug are called the placebo effect. And the placebo effect is very real and very powerful. Almost all drugs rely significantly on the placebo effect for their efficacy, or at least a good part of it. The mind is so much more powerful than Western medicine wants to give it credit. But you need to realize that your mind is also responsible for creating your stress in the first place. You see, stress is a perceived threat. Keyword perceived. Perceived threat to your identity and security or belonging in your tribe. And in this modern age, 99.9% of the threats we face are either the result of our own ignorant behavior, we're consuming bad food and alcohol, and we're jacking up our nervous systems with digital overload and relentless schedules and not getting enough sleep, we're not moving or exercising, and we're not getting quality nutrition, and we don't realize that a lot of our stress is due to a lack of self-care. But we live in a culture where it's not normal to do those things, which is why it's also not normal to feel good. Everybody's sick. Everybody's on medication. Everybody's overweight and overstressed and overwhelmed. It's just part of our culture. And the big step forward is to take full responsibility that nobody but you can fix that. There is no drink or drug that can change the fact that you are a human being with a body and your needs are not actually negotiable. And ignoring and suppressing and medicating them just widens the gap between illness and wellness. And the other source of our stress is our own self-narrative, the story we're telling ourselves about why we feel bad. 
And it's more than the story of how life is so stressful and all the things that are going wrong and how we can't get what we want or that the system is rigged and nothing we do is going to matter anyway. It's also our story of who we are. It's the shame that tells us we're not good enough and we're not capable. It's a guilt that we've done things wrong that we can never fix or that we've always been a certain way, which means we'll always be that way and that we can't actually change because we just are who we are and it is what it is and it's not good enough because we're not good enough. But these stories aren't true. They are just beliefs that we've adopted and internalized and are now driving our behavior. And that is why it is so important that you learn how to manage your mind and your thoughts and your emotions, that you become aware of these narratives inside and do the work to change the narrative so you can actually reduce your stress. And therefore, you don't need to pour alcohol or anything else down your throat to make it stop. You have to realize that when you drink, even when it goes well, it's not that alcohol is making you feel better. It's actually the story you're telling yourself about what it means to drink and how your thoughts and behaviors change when you are drinking. When you're drinking, you're giving yourself a timeout from your own expectations. You know, I can remember the feeling of relief that would come over me from simply hearing the sound of the cork pop and the tick, 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 tick as the wine hit my glass. I felt better before I even took a sip. Because in that ritual, I was choosing to let go of what bothered me. I was transitioning from the stress to the stress relief before the alcohol even hit my system. I just didn't know that I was doing that. I didn't know I had the power to do that on my own. And that is now what I teach to clients. And let me tell you, not needing a drink or anything else to calm yourself down or make yourself feel better is a freaking superpower. You just need to learn how to manage your nervous system, how to cue the physical symptoms of stress to invite you to get out of your head and move down into your body. And you literally can learn how to calm yourself within 90 seconds of even intense stress reactions, which means you're no longer the victim of your emotions. The problem with believing that alcohol can reduce your stress is that even if you do feel good and have a great time while you're intoxicated, which of course occasionally happens, even though if you're honest, it doesn't happen all the time or even nearly as much as you'd like to think it does, but you're not actually doing anything to make your life better when you're drinking. Alcohol can't resolve anything. It just numbs and distracts you. You, you are the can being kicked down the road. All of your problems are waiting for you in the morning. And that's assuming you sleep through the night because what most drinkers don't realize is the reason we wake up in the middle of the night filled with anxiety is that the sedative effects of the drug we call alcohol have worn off and we're left with sky 
high, high cortisol. And cortisol remains elevated for days. When I was drinking every day, my cortisol levels were so high, my doctor assumed the test was wrong. Because of course, I had self-reported that my alcohol intake was two to three glasses of wine, two to three days a week. So I don't put up any red flags there. And regardless, even if I had been honest, most doctors aren't educated on the pharmacological properties of alcohol because in our culture, alcohol is not thought of as a drug. So the bottom line is that alcohol does not reduce or relieve stress. The only way to relieve stress is to treat it at the source, which are the thoughts that are telling you something isn't right. Something needs to be dealt with. Something needs to change. You need to say no, or you need to say yes, or you need to set a boundary, or you need to take better care of your body. The first and primary thing that needs to change is your own belief system about what you're capable of versus what alcohol is capable of. Because if you're going to continue to believe that alcohol reduces stress and that you don't have the power to control yourself, those beliefs are going to make it impossible for you to stop over drinking. You will continue to have to rely on willpower. And then when your stress exceeds your capacity for willpower, you'll be at a very high risk for falling back into old patterns of not only drinking, but thinking. And this is what is so disheartening about alcohol use disorder. Good behavior and even long-term sobriety doesn't cure it, which is why I changed the name of this podcast to It's Not About the Alcohol, because alcohol is not the cause of our problems. It's a symptom, and it does significantly exacerbate our stress, especially if you're a regular drinker and living with a dopamine deficit, which is why the first best thing you can do for yourself is to stop drinking long enough to heal your nervous system and your brain chemistry and correct these subconscious beliefs that otherwise will lead you right back to the bottle or to something else. It is so common to simply transfer addictions, which kind of proves the point that it isn't about the alcohol. And that's why I want to caution you to be careful that if you are looking for support and you join a typical sobriety program, you're going to end up reinforcing the exact beliefs that are working against you. You do not have a disease. You have a bad habit built on bad information. And doubling down on the beliefs that you can't control your drinking and therefore you need to identify yourself as an alcoholic and swear to stay sober forever can actually give you short-term results. But long-term, that approach makes it nine times more likely that you're going to binge again in the future. Because believing that alcoholism is a disease that can never be cured and that your addiction is doing push-ups in the parking lot while you're in the sobriety meetings means that if you ever do have a drink again, you're going to lose control right on cue. The mind is so powerful, you guys. And the solution is to reclaim your power, not give it away. But you can't reprogram your subconscious mind and repattern your nervous system from passively listening to this podcast. It's not enough to understand. You need to interact with this information so that it becomes your new and lived experience. That is how your brain learns. You can't learn how to ride a bike by listening to somebody else talk about it, right? No matter how on point their instructions are. 
And thinking differently about alcohol won't change how you feel about it. You've got to learn how to walk, talk, and feel at the same time. And if you want to know more about what that means, come to my free live masterclass this week to learn more about my accelerated recovery process. In one hour, I lay out the big picture for what it takes to reprogram your subconscious and repattern your nervous system. Because if you're going to do this, you want to do it right so you can move on with your life. Stop circling back here. Stop circling the drain. Stop treating sobriety like a yo-yo diet and get yourself a permanent solution. Get in the show notes and click the link to register. You will have the option of instantly watching the replay because I do this every week. But if you can come on Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, I would love to meet you. I limit the live call to 10 people, so I have time to answer everybody's questions at the end. So grab your spot, and then if there's none available, just register for the following week if you want to meet with me live. I love meeting you, members of my community, and I learn just as much from you as you learn from me because I'm constantly listening to what you're saying and expanding my awareness of what you're going through in real time that's different from maybe what I went through and using that feedback to develop even better strategies for how to apply the tools that I teach. And if you can't come live and you end up watching the replay, for people that watch the replay, I do offer a free discovery call. And so watch the replay and then book a call with me. And I'm happy to give you 45 minutes of my time to discuss your specific circumstances, challenges, and goals so that you can walk away with clarity and hope and a plan that you can implement that's different from anything you've ever tried. So I hope to see you. And if you're still listening and you are not registered for my pod squad, please do it. I need all hands on deck. And if you're on Instagram or Facebook, follow me at Recover with Colleen. And then also in the show notes, you can join my insiders email list to make sure that you are included on invitations for my special events. By the time this airs, we'll have already done our second storytelling workshop, but I'm going to be doing more storytelling. I'm probably going to be doing it once a month. So subscribe now so that you make sure to get notified of the next date. And finally, before I go, I want to let you know I'm so excited for the five mini-sodes that I'm releasing next week. So the strategy is to release five episodes so that I can 5x my downloads all in one day, right? That's the whole point of the relaunch, to boost myself up into the charts so the algorithm can start showing me to other people. But in reality, the five episodes are really just one big deep dive. The title, the working title right now is, I'm going to go into the upstream habits that cause and cure alcohol use disorder. Because you really can cure it. I live in the cure every day. And when I stop and look at myself interacting in the world with alcohol and stress, I'm still blown away that this is possible. And the reason it's possible is because I have cracked the code on how to resolve ambivalence. 
Ambivalence is just the emotional whiplash you experience when you are so certain you're never going to drink again. And then five minutes or five hours or five days later, you're right back into thinking habits that are telling you that maybe you should drink again and maybe you're overthinking it, which of course you are. Your brain is right on that. (laughs) Or that you're not going to be able to keep going and therefore you should just give up. And that's where your brain's getting it wrong. But until you resolve the conflicting belief, the multiple truths that you are holding in your subconscious, the basic ones being, I love to drink and I don't love to drink. Like those two things are coexisting. And until you resolve the, I love to drink because alcohol helps me feel better. Until you resolve that, it's always going to be in your subconscious which is why getting emotionally excited about sobriety and riding the waves of the pink bubble and thinking that your sobriety has cured the problem doesn't lead to long-term solutions. That's why you can do five or 10 years in AA and then find yourself back struggling with alcohol because you never fix the source of the problem. The only way to permanently free yourself of the alcohol questions are to actually stop and resolve them, resolve the ambivalence so that you can break your emotional attachment to what it means to drink. So you're going to love the mini episodes, all five of them next week. And the way you'll be eligible for the prizes, you know, I say you have to download all five. I'm going to hide Easter eggs into the content, which just means that I will interrupt the episode probably close to the beginning, with some sort of audio cue and a word, and then you have to collect all five words. And I'll give you a hint in advance, the five words will be the ingredients to my favorite mocktail. So to confirm your eligibility for the prizes, you will submit a screenshot of your review or rating on Spotify, and then also all five ingredients to my mocktail. And then you will be added to the drawing for the $100 gift card, $300 coaching session, and the grand prize of a 12-week membership in the next chapter. So it's going to be so fun. I appreciate all of you that are joining me in in this endeavor to put this message out there and to grow this community of people who are pushing back against the status quo and the cultural narrative that over drinking is a sign there's something wrong with you. Nope, it's just some faulty logic and you can fix it. So I'll see you next week.